What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this week's episode of Tales from the Crypt. I had the immense pleasure of sitting down with Dan Tapiero from DTAP Capital and Gold Bullion International last week uh, to get his views on Bitcoin, how he sort of came around to it, uh, why he thinks it's already established, how Wall Street's viewing it, uh, and how Bitcoin compares to the values of the Founding Fathers. A very good conversation. Uh, I think if you take one nugget from this episode, it should be that people need to think critically more. We need more critical thought in this world. Uh, it's something that, that is lacking. A lot of people are uh, allocating decision-making to thought leaders, if you will. And uh, it's time, high time that we get more logical uh, thinkers in this world, more critical thinkers, excuse me. Um, this week's episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by the Cash App. As you know, Cash App is the simplest way to send and save money. Now it's the simplest way to try to grow your money, introducing Cash App Investing. We're stacking, what are we doing? We're stacking slivers of stocks, slivers of shares. We're selling slivers of shares in the seashells, in the Seychelles, excuse me. We're selling slivers of shells in the Seychelles. Not really, we're doing it in America. So if you have Cash App, they have Cash App Investing right now. And unlike investing tools that only let you buy entire shares of a stock, Cash App lets you instantly invest as little or as much as you want. So again, you can buy a sliver of a share. This way, when your favorite company's stock is just a little bit too expensive, you can always own a little piece as little as $1. And as Cash App uh, is directly connected to your bank account, there are no four to five day waiting periods for inbound transfers. You can start investing that money right away, baby. Get on it. Get on it. You can start stacking sats right away, too. Brokered services are provided by Cash App Investing, a subsidiary of Square and member SIPC. As always, when you sign up, use the code stacking sats. That's one word. Uh, you're now going to get $10 when you sign up for the Cash App using the code StackingSats. And they're going to give $10 to Owls the Cross. That's Owls the Cross. And of course, they still have the, all the Bitcoin goodness. You can buy, sell Bitcoin, send it to a personal wallet from a personal wallet to the app. Send it straight to a coin join if you want. So go download the Cash App from the App Store or the Google Play Store today. Use the code StackingSats. This episode is also brought to you by our good friends at Casa Freaks. How confident are you in your key security? How protected is your seed freeze? Does your key setup have a single point of failure? Are you even asking yourself these questions? Are you? Our friends at Casa have drummed up one of the smartest and most secure ways to holder your Bitcoin. No KYC, no altcoin, no percentage fees on your Bitcoin. No one's standing between you and your keys. Get that peace of mind for your stash with the world's with what the world's one of the most with one of the most secure multi-sig setups in the world. Use the promo code TFTC to get up to $250 off your Casa membership or hit them up. Uh, directly with an email, just just straight up email them, membership at team.casa, ask them the hard questions, yo, what can you do with this product, how are you going to help me, can I get a demo, uh, what about this, what about that, ask them your hardest offset questions, all members, uh, memberships come with a full set of hardware wallets and for your multi-sig, plus the Casa Node 2, plus Faraday bags, and early access to all future Casa products, if you're a serious hodler, and a diamond and platinum membership, uh, package, you're going to get 24-7 VIP service, dedicated client advisor, and custom ooh, and a custom onboarding and OPSEC plan. So again, use the code TFTC to get up to $250 off. Either email them at membership at team.casa or just go check out the multisig at keys.casa slash keymasters. Freaks, hope you guys enjoy this episode. I know I had an immense pleasure sitting down with Dan. Uh, he's got a wealth of knowledge and I'm really glad to have him on the Bitcoin team. So enjoy. Okay. from the Good. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here. What is it? Wednesday? In a Wednesday afternoon in Williamsburg, New York, sitting down uh, with a guest I'm very excited to speak with today. He took the trip over to Williamsburg. Doesn't come over here often. I'm very appreciative. <laughs> Of the trek that he made, I'd like to introduce you, freaks, to Dan Tapiero, co-founder of DTAP Capital and Gold Bullion International. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Marty, thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming on yep. again. Thank you for making the trek. I know I don't make it over to Brooklyn often. What's you got beef no. with Brooklyn? <laughs> no, I'm in Greenwich in the city, but no, it's beautiful here. It's beautiful, and I'm sure it's a lot of fun too. It yeah. is. It is. It is fun. And uh, New York, New York is fun. I have a big love-hate uh, relationship with New York, but we're not here to talk about New York. 
we were just chatting about Ray Dalio's note. You said you skimmed through it. This is something I want to uh, really get into with you is not necessarily the note that Ray wrote in particular, but the themes he talked about. And like we were just chatting about, these are themes we've been talking about for a while. Um, so he basically came out to there are many factors that are at play here. You have pension and healthcare crises on the horizon with demographic shifts. Uh, you have a debt-fueled economy um, and easy money asset bubbles everywhere. Uh, and I noticed you were talking about WeWork maybe being an end of cycle uh, sort of tremor uh, earlier this week. Uh, I think just from a, a macro perspective, do you think uh, Ray is is accurate in his description? Well, you know, I think he's sort of been on this theme for a little while. I mean, he published something, I don't know if it was six months ago or another missive on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's had this framework uh, for a few years, um, he seems to, the fund seems to navigate relatively well. His fund, um, you know, even in periods where that framework is not operative. So, um, you know, I, I, this may be a big picture concern. You know, not clear how he's positioned exactly. Uh, except I do know he has, I mean, he's been quite public about this. He has about 10% of his portfolio in gold which for the institutional money management world is, a, is, is quite big and is a statement. So, you know, for people who are out there saying, well, you know, is Ray really investing this way? Again, I don't, I don't know what his exposures are generally, but to have a 10% weighting in gold, I think is, is a statement um, that, that, um, that he is playing, you know, that that idea is in his portfolio. Yeah, especially at the AUM that he's operating with, too. Um, yeah, that's quite a position. Right. Yeah. And so you're, you're a big gold guy. Let's uh, sort of get into your, your path towards gold, why, why you like gold, and, and how you had this epiphany with Bitcoin recently, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, well, that, there's, there's a lot to uh, unpack there in a way. Um, you know, but just, just to go back for a second on the, on the Ray um, piece, I think that... You know, that framework can be the right one, but it may not be super operative at this moment. Um, you know, you could, you could be in a situation where, and I, I, I've said this a little bit recently on, on Twitter and then also on, on Real Vision, which we mentioned, that, you know, I think this cycle, unlike anyone I've ever seen, is dominated by the president. And we've never really had this before, you know. Uh, you know, it's almost you know they they I guess they call it direct democracy. And he's tweeting his opinions, and people are tweeting them back. And so, you know, I see his uh, ability to influence, and I just don't see how he's going to put himself in a position to lose this election. And part of that, um, based on the way that he's been managing things. Uh, is to have the stock market right up on the highs right into the election. So, um, you know, if if you start with that thought that he will, I don't want to say it's not manipulate the news, but he will, you know, um, you know, he will make sure that the macro backdrop is favorable for the market. You could have a situation like um, the one Ray describes be postponed uh, for, you know, perhaps after the election, uh, maybe, um, or, or maybe further into the future. Because, you know, Trump, as we've seen, he's had quite good success. The market is at an all-time high. He was telling everybody to go take their profits and spend wisely the other day. Oh, did he? Yeah. Well, so then, you know what, then maybe he's, he's going to come out and say no deal with China and, you know, the market drops down 10% and then he comes out and he says, oh, well, actually, you know, we, we will have a deal and we will have more fiscal stimulus. I'm going to cut taxes or whatever, you know, whatever. He, he, he's... He's definitely watching this market like no president in the history of the country. Um, yeah, and, and he's, you know, I don't want to say he's trading it, but in a way he is. It's like he's trying to manipulate algos with his tweets, right? Because they'll just take words in either speeches or tweets that he puts out there and, and 
move markets with it essentially, right? Well, I don't, I don't know that it's a day for day, tick for tick thing. Like he comes in and he's like, oh, I, the market's falling. I'm going to come in with something. Um, I, I don't know that it's that specific, but there, he's definitely aware of where it is. And I think he releases uh, data points, positive and negative, based on where the market is, which is it's totally crazy in a way. But it's been, you know, it's been relatively effective. Yeah, and uh, Howard Marks wrote a letter a couple of weeks ago that actually hit on this as well because he's in a rock and a hard place, right? Because you have EU, you have the banking sector and, uh, and the ECB going negative, everybody going negative against the dollar. So everybody's pouring in the dollar to make the dollar stronger at the same time. Trump's screaming a pal to lower interest rates. And do you see a scenario in which Trump or not Trump, wow, it's actually funny, and there was a Freudian slip there, the, the Fed uh, follows other central banks below the x-axis. Yeah, I mean... Just because they're I, yeah. forced to? Because the... Uh, See, that's, a, it's, that's also a longer-term uh, issue, it, meaning that, you know, at the moment, the Fed has cut and they've paused, and the payroll number that came out recently was okay, I think a lot of the data globally has been soft and softening um, as a result of previous Fed hikes and also the tension between China and the U.S. I think has had a lot of um, business people and corporations holding off on investment plans and maybe rejiggering their uh, supply chains um, to move out of China. Just, you know, there's been disruption. Um, so... You know, macro, macro is a, a medium term. For, for macro uh, investing, macro trading to be effective, you have to have a medium term outlook. And so, um, unless you're going to trade, you know, day to day kind of thing, and there are people who do that. But, um, you know, I, I think there is a scenario, certainly under the rate Dahlia view, but there is a scenario where they, they have to keep cutting rates. Doesn't, but it could be pushed off again for a few more months. Um, if if I'm right about Trump uh, and the market into the election, it's probably you know the, the the economy will stay okay enough and the market will be okay enough, um, and you know I I don't so it may not happen for a year or two but if you're saying to me is it possible you know can we get down to 50 basis points or closer to zero on the Fed funds rate. I would say yes, and you know, medium term, you know, the thing that's been driving this is that there's just no inflation at all, and in fact, inflation has been dropping, and is very low. So, what is actually going to get prices to start increasing? You know, we had this whole upcycle in the last few years, and the Fed was raising rates from zero, and they still didn't hit their inflation target. So from my perspective, a lot of those rate rises were not needed. And I think that's what Trump, um, you know, no matter what, what you think about the guy or his character or what, whatever it is, he was, he was right on last year uh, when the Fed uh, raised, you know, for the last time and shouldn't have. And then, of course, in December, we had a total meltdown uh, in the stock market. But, you know, we never hit their inflation target. They were not supposed to raise that much. And so once again, you know, they've stopped what may have been an upcycle by hiking too much, and the Fed does that often. Um, and I think it wasn't the absolute level. I mean, this is all history, and I don't know how interesting or not, but it was the rate of change. They went from zero to two um, in a 18-month period or whatever it was, a short, short period of time. So it was that that was more of the the break then you know that it was two percent which mm -hmm. is not that much <clears throat> yeah but what does that say about the i don't want to say the validity of the system but like the structural uh the structural foundation of the system if it, it can be manipulated by tweets uh from trump and he's he's not his mindset is mindset isn't uh to do what's best for the economy of the country in general. It's basically to get the stock market to a place where he can get well, reelected. Well, no, but that's, that's okay. I mean, <clears throat> because he, 
he he does believe in that f- feedback loop, and as do you know, uh, old time hedge fund guys like me and other investors. Uh, it is positive. You know, the market goes up 20%. People feel better than when it's down 20%. And, mm-hmm. you know, that that's maybe very simplistic, but it's true. Um, but I think that goes to back to the Dalio question because, you know, the underlying structure of the world, let's just call it monetary system, I mean, is problematic. It does, you know, $17 trillion of debt is negative yielding. And Ray goes on about this, and it's never happened before. We've never seen it. It is a problem, um, and it's driven, I think, partly by structural deflation out of Europe, which started a long time ago with the, um, you know, the uh, initially the ERM crisis in the early 90s, but then the coming together of the currencies was super deflationary mm-hmm. in 2000 into the euro because you straight-jacketed a lot of these countries into uh, a fixed exchange rate and you've prevented them from fiscally expanding Um, and now we've had discussion about well can we expand fiscally in Europe and the Germans at one point say yes and then they say no but then you know it's very hard to see Germany as a uh, or from the the elites who are managing policy very hard to see them actually agreeing that it's okay to expand fiscally beyond the, the limit. And I think you might even need like a new generation before, <laughs> you know, before that becomes okay. Well, so I just want to answer your point. I, mm-hmm. I, do, I, I do think the underpinnings right now are problematic, you know. Yeah, because that's, I mean, yeah. that's what um, Paranoid Bull, Bull Dal um, said when he was on this podcast a few months ago, is that actually in, in the ECB, uh, it's getting to the point, um, excuse me, in Europe, it's getting to the point where the ECB may not legally be able to buy more German bonds because of uh, uh, right. the, like they have portfolio limits on how much uh, sovereign debt they can buy. Um, so they're buying up so much, they're hitting the limits. Will they extend those limits? Who knows? But it does seem like something's afoot here, at least. And that's why, I mean, that's why I'm fascinated with Bitcoin. When I was an analyst uh, at the fund I was working for, <clears throat> uh, I was tasked with, uh, following tea leaves, central bank tea leaves, and writing <laughs> commentaries on on why yeah. the fund performed against currency did market they movements. Did say is or did they say the? Exactly, and that right. was I was one of those tea leaf hawks for for right. a few years there. And after a few years, I was like, this is this doesn't make any sense to me. And at the same time, I was falling into Bitcoin, and so I'm a believer in Bitcoin that Bitcoin can at least help provide a transitionary parallel system if the incumbent system that we're used to is uh, rickety at its foundation. Do you think that Bitcoin can uh, grow into a a parallel and then uh, well, I think dominant it is, system? Yeah, I think it is growing into that now. Um, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, Bitcoin, and I've said this before, is just so many different things. Um, but in the first five or six years of its existence, I would not have thought that, you know, even with it growing, I would not have thought that it could be. But now, when you look at the entire ecosystem of the value of the companies in the space, the equity value plus the value of the tokens plus the value of Bitcoin, and I know some people just only want to look absolutely only at Bitcoin, um, but if you look at the entire ecosystem, as I do as a macro guy, and looking at the value of that, the whole thing, you're looking at 350 to 400 billion dollars worth of of value of dollars stuck there even if you adjust the valuation of some of the uh, companies lower uh, it, it's still a huge number and so and it's holding there um, and interestingly most people probably aren't aware of this but you know the Bitcoin peaked and went down and is still down about 50 percent from uh, from the highs, but you have many companies in the space working on all sorts of different projects that have continued to grow, that have continued to make money through, you know, a pretty harsh down cycle in Bitcoin, but much more harsh in the tokens. Some of them are down 98% and some, a majority of them won't come back. 
but there are some projects that are valid. They're working on different things um, in the ecosystem um, that, you know, I think will be supportive. I think you're, you're going to have businesses grow up around the, um, you know, the network. And I understand that the thing of greatest value is Bitcoin. Um, but, you know, if we're just going to say, okay, the Bitcoin network, greatest, you know, as I've said, security truth machine that's ever been built, 10-year track record, hasn't been hacked. I, who knows if that has ever existed before. You know, the best track record of any asset in the history of the world, 10-year track record, 300% annualized. Uh, you know, to me, it's proven itself. And the fact that even people in the space, some, some people and guys who I've spoken with in the last week or two who have been in for seven, eight years, still question whether, you know, guy said to me, very well-known guy in the space said to me, he's still concerned about the code. And he knows a lot more than I do about that. But I thought, well, you know, haven't we played that game already? Haven't we? So, you know, ha hasn't that been traded? Hasn't that, you know, we, we've, we've survived, you know, a hundred near deaths, right? So it's almost like, well, so I think, um, you know, yeah, there's huge value there, but also in all of the, you know, intellectual talent, all the time that people put into the entire space, to me, I think is is very valuable and not to be ignored. And I, I don't know if you've, I'm sort of against this term, the shit coin that people use because <laughs> you've got geniuses who are working on some of these projects and maybe those projects don't work and maybe they, maybe eventually everyone is just doing things related to Bitcoin if that's what happens, but maybe not. And, and I don't think that takes away from Bitcoin. I just think that all of us who believe in Bitcoin, we really adoption and understanding um, and education uh, are, are, are the key things. And we don't at this stage want to be pushing people away because, you know, they think it's fraudulent or because, oh, it's, it's just filled with a bunch of 28 year olds running around. Um, you know, who, you know, those crazy millennial, whatever it is, we don't want to, I'm saying we don't, we, you know, that's not a very good strategy if you're a Bitcoiner and you believe in, you know, that this is one of the great inventions of the last, you know, hundred years. If you believe that, then someone looking from the outside, and I think this is where like my, you know, I, I see myself in this role a lot explaining to guys like me who've been in the investment world for 30 years who are older this is what you're missing and you know um, and doing it in a legitimate way that they understand um, that's I think what I'm bringing to the party at the moment and having to explain like so why is there this group always yelling out at uh, I, I just have to say, look, you know, it's just a little bit of an alternative world there. They're, you know, a bunch of young guys with a lot of energy. Born on the internet, born in chat rooms, love to troll. I like uh, Bitcoin sign guys' description of all coins the best, that they, uh, they provide cover for Bitcoin uh, via confusion and uh, people seeking out other ideas. If they have good ideas, it could be adopted by Bitcoin. But I, too, agree that uh, especially trying to educate outsiders, uh, even though I do love participating in some of the the Schadenfreude when when these altcoin projects do mess up, uh, as uh, outsiders looking in, maybe like what the hell are these idiots talking about? But this is a great segue into the next question. I wanted to ask you: What is it like pitching to uh, others, like uh, other men like yourself who are investing money? How uh, how are you finding success pitching it? Uh, do you pitch it from different different angles depending on it who it is? Uh, do you have many pitches when you go to it? Or? <coughs> Yeah, I mean, this has been a really, you know, embryonic uh, type of process because um, I sort of fell down that rabbit hole pretty hardcore earlier in the year. And uh, I mentioned in the Real Vision interview that um, the thing that really brought me to it was, was price, I have to say. I mean, as looking at lots of markets around the world, you know, went down 85%, looks cheap. I liked it to begin with. 
start buying and you buy more and more and then all of a sudden you have a significant position and you're really drawn into it. And I started finding things out about Bitcoin that I had no idea. I mean, I, I just hadn't done that deep dive. And so my, um, my process is, all right, um, this, is, this is really big. And in my career, I've done this several times before. In 2006, um, I got the idea that we were going to have a massive bull market in agriculture. And I went from trading currencies and bonds like almost overnight to moving my, all my analysts from their areas, emerging markets, currencies, bonds, like everyone into ag. And within three months, you know, we were limit long in corn, soy, and wheat. And we published, we published, uh, you know, eight page pieces uh, explaining why, this was in late 06 and then 07, why we thought prices were gonna double. And then when I was working with um, Stan Druckenmiller at Duquesne, he and I launched a farmland REIT together with uh, other partners as well that ended up becoming uh, AgCoa, which um, became probably the largest farmland, private farmland REIT in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so I remember speaking, I'll get back to your question, but I remember speaking to you know, some of the established older guys in the space saying to me, you know, like, you're just some guy from Greenwich. What do you think you're, you're like? What do you think you know about farm traders talking shit? What's on that? Seabot traders talking shit on you? Well, more like you know the far, farmland, uh, the, the 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 five farmland aggregators in the space, and we had just come at it from a different perspective, and we built our own models, and we said, wow, this, you know, we really want to own this. We want to aggregate a lot of of land because based on our models it's trading at a 70 percent discount to where we think it's going to be worth in a few years so um my point is that is that sort of that and i did the same thing with gold bullion international it just i i had I had this concept i wanted to own physical bars um, outside of the banking system, fully allocated in a specific way. And, you know, we then built that, but I hadn't done that before. And so the, the sharp break for me um, from not sort of having fallen down the rabbit hole and then falling down, it was a process that I had gone through in other areas with other things before. So it wasn't, you know, you know um, it, it wasn't... Uh, you know, it's always uncomfortable in a way in the beginning and then like the light bulb goes off. But I, I, I'd gone through that. And um, so in a way, I know, I know how to um, explain that process, which I did on that interview, but also um, how to explain to other people who have a similar investment perspective. So... What am I saying to them? I mean, my, I, I think, well, what is, what is the bet? And I think there's just, there are only two bets in my mind, investments, uh, just long Bitcoin, very simple. Hold it in any wallet you want. I mean, preferably, you know, uh, in cold storage, but you can, I, I think that, you know, an exchange like Coinbase for retail people or, you know, Kraken or any of the top ones is, is okay. I, you know, it's um, so I, I think that's one bet, and then the other bet I think is a bet on um, the I think the, the larger companies in the space who are going to be there, um, whether they're doing what they're doing now or whether they pivot. So in a sense, you're betting on some of the you know the, the talent almost. You have a company with a thousand people that's well organized that's making money in the, in the sector, as a macro guy, I want to have a sector bet as well. Um, and that can take a bunch of different forms, not, not early stage VC type stuff. I, I'm, I'm not qualified to, to, you know, uh, you know, to, to, to make a bet on that. And you have very well known VCs in the Valley, Andreessen and, and you know, Dan Moorhead, et cetera. They, they, they have real expertise there. And again, I, I, you, I think we want to include 
that, that and talk about it as the ecosystem because that talent pool is very valuable. Mm -hmm. And whether you think 10 years from now it's just Bitcoin or not, they, they will help the process. It'll help right. achieve a tipping point. Right? Well, that's mentally. that's exactly right, and we we don't want to, you know, we don't want to push them away. It's already very hard to explain to people what Bitcoin is and why it's something that's going to be a part of everybody's future. And so, if you you know, if you get that far and you're you're able to put it in terms that older guys can understand. You just you don't you don't want to create the uncertainty or extra complexity or the, the possibility of you know all these questions like um, you know shitcoin what is that <laughs> and are those guys kidding and you, you know what I'm saying no I know exactly what you're saying and as uh, as somebody who's definitely been uh, one of the people attributing to that that noise in the past I think uh, come to the defense of Bitcoiners and their view viewpoint is that they've seen so many people get scammed throughout the years just because it's so easy with this open source technology. But that's the past. Yeah. No, no. And I, yeah. and I am, uh, and I also want to make it clear that I am somebody who's confident in Bitcoin's uh, long-term success that I, I think that, yes, it is uh, okay in certain instances. I mean, it is good to warn people about scams that happen and we just have to reside for sure, for we have sure. to reside ourselves to the fact that people are gonna have to touch the stove first and it's gonna happen i touched the stove many times before i figured out what was going well, on i I, I haven't yet i mean so <laughs> i and i am not coming with a lot of the baggage uh mm -hmm. in in that sense and i and i and i get that you know it's funny though coming to a strong view later on in this process, um, you know, I already think Bitcoin is established. It's already, you know, it's super legitimate from my perspective. So when, when you have the confidence uh, of something that's, that's already won, you don't even need to bother with the rest of like beating up on the little guy, you, you know, they've won. This is it. The Bitcoin has. And I think some of the, the narrative, for instance, we were talking before about Safadine Amos's book, the Bitcoin standard. I think the narrative that comes out of that book, uh, is really interesting. And I think it started to, I, I don't know, five years ago, that wasn't the narrative that I understood. Mm -hmm. right. No, it's, and I, I love that safe didn't really focus on Bitcoin at all till the end of the book or in, for a very little section of the book. It was more about monetary history. And that's the mission of this podcast is to help people realize that we live in an anomaly of monetary history and uh, things may be hitting ahead and trying to, that's one thing I think our society today with all the technology, uh, just the, the pace of change that we're experiencing as, as a human species, it's hard for people to take a step back and put our our current condition in the context of a bigger history and i think that's maybe the folly of our modern day right now especially with monetary economics yeah and it's complicated you know and bitcoin is certainly the most complicated or the most complex let's just say thing that i've probably ever had to analyze really yeah by far um just because it's so interdisciplinary and you have to push through in the beginning, not understanding a lot of things. I mean, even if you're reading Antonopoulos's book, the Internet of uh, the Internet, Internet money. money, that volume two, it's super enlightening. But there are big chunks of it that you're not going to get if you're just new to it. And I like this Jan. I said on Twitter, I like this Jan Pritzker book. I think uh, inventing Bitcoin. Yeah, inventing Bitcoin. I I suggest that as a starter. But even as a starter, it's you know there there are lots of concepts in there that are going to be hard for people, especially around the mining process, the actual you know the 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 verification process. That when you get into the weeds can be more complicated than you'd think. Well, that actually brings up a. Uh 
an interesting topic we can dive on. You mentioned earlier putting Bitcoin in cold storage. I'm very happy you said that. Uh, as somebody, a 28-year-old Bitcoiner, it's one of the biggest worries is UX, especially with the custody of private keys, will be such that uh, most people leave their coins on exchanges, especially in older generations. But uh, as we have a demographic shift here, too, like do you notice uh, your kids' generation or generations uh, behind them getting this more innately and, and speeding up the process. Over the, like, it actually just hit me a couple of weeks ago that Gen Z is entering the workforce now, which blows my mind. Uh, all the 23-year-olds graduating and going into college are technically Gen Z, not millennials anymore. Um, yeah, but you know what? Um, so I have three kids, one's uh, 19, 17, and 15, and they, until I engagement they didn't know what bitcoin was really so it's not you know the the education and they'd heard about it but they just had no idea and at school there isn't a lot of discussion about it i'm trying to encourage one of my kids to start a bitcoin a club and i could have you know, certainly some well-known speakers come to the school and talk about it, and we might we might do that. Um, but there isn't any formal way. So I just I made you know made my my son. You know, I, anyway, I, we we we're now at a place where we understand it and we own some. I mean, they do, so that they can get used to it and maybe following it and reading news about it. But. Um, it's not coming from, I mean, the peer group. Um, on the other hand, there are some kids. Uh, my son did, does have a, a friend who is really very hardcore and has um, super, I mean, he's, I guess he's 18, but he's a computer science major and he's hardcore into Bitcoin. Um, but what, what I'm saying is, is that don't think that there's, uh, a natural adoption just because they're younger. Um, what, uh, one, of, one of my kids said, I said, oh, what about Bitcoin? And uh, one of them said, um, oh, wait, isn't that what, the, that's what the kids use to buy their fake IDs. <laughs> that's what my right? sister did. Yes. So that's it. Yeah. And then there, it stops there. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's not good in a way. That's not... You know, that continues the narrative that actually Bitcoin has conquered, which is that it's illegitimate, mm -hmm. right? Bitcoin isn't anything but illegitimate. And so yet here we have these 16 and 17 year olds, again, not understanding that it's a network that's been built and has incredible security uh, characteristics and one day will be the rails for all the payment systems globally so that's important and i think education and getting that message out uh, to the younger ones who are all digital native mm -hmm. like they'll be able to get this but it's got to get out there a little bit yeah. so and as we know bitcoin has no marketing department and bitcoin has you and, and a lot of people say well who, who cares the ones that the the, 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 the ones that will say, well, who cares about it? Who cares about all that? It'll just happen. And that's probably right. But you know what I've realized being in markets all these years is that nothing ever really has to happen. There is a path where it doesn't happen. Now, that's not my view. And I don't think it, I think it's a low probability. But, and I think the way we increase the odds that it does happen is by doing things, you know, like encouraging our kids to understand it and follow it. And through that, they can then understand about monetary uh, affairs, uh, global monetary affairs uh, uh, within that context. So they'll start with Bitcoin and then on the other way, as opposed to, you know, a guy like me, I started from, you know, traditional mm -hmm. macro. So that would be interesting if they, right, if they, they learned about, the world through Bitcoin first, right? right? And we can only hope. Well, yeah. that actually brings up a good segue. So how much of a black swan is Bitcoin on the international payments and money settlement layer, especially well, if you... Well, what do you mean by black swan? 
So especially if you're talking about Russia and China stockpiling gold for the last two decades, like crazy. Maybe they had an idea that they were going to do a decades-long uh, attack on the reserve U.S. as the reserve currency. And while doing that, they did stockpile gold, and Bitcoin comes out of nowhere and sort of blows up that plan. Uh, oh, I think that's that's all very sort of theoretical mm-hmm. stuff because, and, I, I mean, over... Yes, they've been accumulating gold, but I like to no specific effect. I don't see maybe there's a very slow erosion in the dollar's hegemony, but um, you know they they could stockpile gold for the next twenty years, not necessarily change anything. So I'm not I'm not sure. Yeah, it wasn't I mean. the best example. So just in terms of being able to control the system and not focusing on China and Russia in particular, just maybe the US oh, in particular. I see. So I see. so recently rumors have been coming out that uh that Maduro has been buying goods directly with Bitcoin due to sanctions, can't buy with US dollar or other currencies, so he's been forced to use Bitcoin. Um so on the geopolitical stage it seems like a lot of assumptions that uh could fit into models uh, a decade ago sort of have to be reworked and rethought about. Um, so you're saying to what degree can Bitcoin disrupt the existing system? Yes. And I think it it it, it is. Um, it doesn't have to be in a bad way. Um, and um, there are tremendous inefficiencies um, in the within the global monetary system. And so uh, even this very simple concept of store of value. And this is again, Dalio sort of gets into this, and all the Bitcoiners are like, "Ray, Bitcoin solves this." Um, I do think that, yeah, I, I do think that you could have a period now over the next, just let's say, ten years, where I don't think fiat, as every you know now comfortably talks about, fiat goes away. Okay, I don't think it's. I think there's a, you know, these things happen a little more slowly. I mean, there's a transition. Um, it could be like in the old days where you have all these different currencies trading around Bitcoin. Bitcoin is in the center and then everyone's value is versus Bitcoin, right? So you could have those pairs trading a lot. Yeah. Um, you, I could see that That'd be Nash's equilibrium. I'm sorry? That'd be Nash's dream of the equilibrium currency. I'm not sure. Um, no, I could totally see that. And benchmarking their currencies against Bitcoin as a transitionary it, it, period. Stable coins are a good example of that as yeah, well. It, it could be. I mean, you know, and this is where Libra or Calibra can, can come in. And I, there's lots of debate about this, but um, I mean, you've signed up. That's, as everyone says, that's 2 billion people. They could very easily introduce Bitcoin into that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And every person who had has never heard of it, and there still are people who've never heard of Bitcoin, or who don't know how to use it, or whatever it is, if all of a sudden they have access to it, it's a big deal. Right. And, you know, the characteristics of Bitcoin, the store of value, versus the other currencies as a store of value, um, is something I think that will catch on. The next piece of it, though, for me, and I say this often, is that you know, if Bitcoin is 20 things, one of them is a store of value. But Bitcoin is so much bigger than that. And that's when, you know, you, that's when you start thinking about, you know, the programmable aspects and start, all, all these other problems that it can solve. You start to think, you know, you get into the super hyperbole of, you know, it can go to a million dollars or, you know, it can go to 200,000. Have and you met so, Bitcoin Tina? What's that? Right. Bitcoin Tina, you know, you know, but it's not just that. It's even guys who are, um, you know, who have, you know, as I've mentioned before, Tim Draper and Winklevoss brothers, they've been talking about 200,000, 500,000 Bitcoin for quite a while. Um, And, you know, that doesn't do uh, that doesn't do it any service because people then back away from it. Mm -hmm. So I try not to get into that hyperbole but the truth of it is that you know there's this narrative that it's digital gold right but again that's only one aspect of bitcoin that that you know that's not leveraging the insane security aspect of it right and that in theory 
could be worth as much as the sovereign value aspect, well, right? How much have you, have you, uh, how long of a trip have you taken down the, the Bitcoin can uh, make us more energy efficient rabbit hole? I, I mean, it's not impossible. Well, because, I mean, it's not, imp I mean, you have to extrapolate things out. Um, but I also like the, the rabbit hole that I like a little more is, you know, the, the one that says that somehow the U.S. figures out that the entire Bitcoin ecosystem can bring tremendous value and growth in GDP and employment. And, you know, it just could could be a super boon for the country. Um, and some people were like, well, oh, that's legacy thinking countries. We're not going to have countries. And anyway, the point is I, I, I live here and I think America is a pretty good place. And I like to see people who aren't doing well do better. And if I were, um, you know, in D.C., uh, I would be trying to think of ways. How do we get the entire Bitcoin uh uh, world, eco, but the ecosystem here and, you know, mining is a perfect example, right? We've da got lots of, uh, resources here lots in this of country. Gas. Dan, right? I got the pitch for you. Exactly. I got the pitch in DC. There's a lot of, there's a lot of flack out there about global warming. It's a big topic out there. We're wasting a lot of, uh, vented gas in these basins that could be <clears throat> captured and mined for Bitcoin, and uh, just putting exactly. it out there. And tons of renewable possibilities. Yeah, oh, it, and, and renew, so we're getting all the hydroelectric, the geothermal too, and the fact that we're finally going out and uh, consuming these resources means that uh, we'll be tinkering around with them and innovating around with them, which is naturally good. And then natural gas and oil, their problem is transportation. They can't transport the supply from the basins to the cities. They can't build the, the pipes. And it's a lot better when your pipes go from hundreds of miles to feet on site. And look, Bitcoin Canada should be this. a Canada should today be a uh, a Bitcoin powerhouse with all that hydro power up there. Um, Quebec messed it up. They kicked well, all the Bitcoiners out. <clears throat> yeah, but they can change their mind. Also, I I wouldn't rule I I, I wouldn't rule them out of the game just yet. Um, you know, it just it takes some it takes some time. For yeah. people to see the value, so I like I like going down that rabbit hole. People think, oh, Bitcoin's not because it's all in China. I'm like, well, it's not going to be all in China within you know within five to seven years. No, it's not going to be that. Way. We should start a Dan Tapiero Marty Bent campaign to uh, get DC to uh, incentivize oil and gas producers to mine Bitcoin with their flared gas. If you get uh, a certain amount of your vented gas that would have otherwise been vented and you mine Bitcoin with it instead, you get a tax break. I think we can do this. Well, I mean, I almost have a better idea, which is just to maybe just go out and do it. Oh. Right? So, I mean, there are some projects that I'm looking at right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can I so, can guarantee you it's happening. It's, um, um, you know, it's, it's all good. Yeah. Right? And um, <clears throat> no, and that's... That's the crazy thing. Again, going back to how geopolitical it gets, like China has uh, has owned the mining for the first decade, you know, for most of the first decade. It seems to be getting more distributed now, but could it become a, a national security risk in the long run, do you think, if we, if we don't get on top of this? I think it's moving away from that, and so I think that's yesterday's narrative. Really? Why? Because I think that it will become much more decentralized. I okay. think there, there, there will be places in the next five years where it will be cheaper to secure the network. Because mm -hmm. that's, what that's what's going on, right? We're just securing the network. Yeah. <coughs> securing, well, securing the network, yeah, batching transactions and, and uh, not wasting energy, which is something, and again, it's something that naturally people in this country should be getting behind now especially with all the climate climate change stuff we want to be as efficient as possible and then become as efficient as possible as we can on the planet then we move to the stars we take this to space this is something else that you were tweeting about the other week is, well, Ch is china I, going to beat us to space <laughs> <laughs> look that 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 tweet i was just what what blew me away was is the the, the Chinese ability to just plan, not just so far into the future, but like into totally abstract, esoteric things. Um, you know, to plan 
uh, what was it? A space, uh, a space land, like a uh, space colony or space uh, that oh, co- co- uh, commercialization of, you know, Oh, it was a, like a free trade zone yes. in space. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I mean, they still have 500 million people living on, you know, $50 a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, vast underclass in China and yet still, and again, a huge middle class now too. Um, but, you know, they're, they're having plans like this. And it's interesting. I don't know, you know, it's probably, you know, on a 50-year view, it's probably the right thing to do. But it's in just stark contrast to what goes on here. And I think that's what struck me about that story and why I retweeted it and wrote that comment because you know, we really could use a bit of a space uh, race. Well, a, well, little, uh, uh, no more, more long-term planning. Yeah. And you know, in a way, and I think Dan said this at the Pantera conference, Dan Warhead, that you know, this is this is a Sputnik moment for us in Bitcoin, meaning, you know, China does a lot of the mining. They've just talked about a, 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 a stable coin. Uh, the the central bank did BCEP or something like that. Right, that's exactly right. And so, where are we in all this? Why why is it that uh, you know we, why are we behind them, especially with so much talent here, and not just in the valley, but you know you're getting all you know all, all sorts of different um, places are popping up as I don't want to call them Bitcoin hubs, but you know, now you go in, into New York and you go down to the Flatiron, that whole area, lots of Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoiners down there. Austin's got a great Austin, scene yep. all over the place. Uh, LA's got a scene now. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So it just, uh, uh, unfortunately, it's just taking a little longer. Um, I, maybe it's also because the Chinese tend to be super facile with technology and computing and video games and math and you know you have alipay over there and everyone uses it all the cabs in i think it's shanghai they're all you know you can't even you can't pay cash anymore it's alipay or wechat right right yeah and so you know the u.s is a democracy and is more fractured and it takes time for things to catch hold here Uh, but it's it it's gonna happen it's, it's going to happen. So I, I'm saying, you know, that story about space, it, it just, it would be nice if we had somebody uh, with some vision and, and a little bit of a long-term plan. Yeah. I mean, it feels like here in America, we're just stuck in these two-year election cycles. You go from the midterms to the presidential elections, and it's just people screaming back and forth. And, and honestly, Obama's, Obamacare was the last big, uh, I guess, altruistic effort you can i can think of but it doesn't yeah it doesn't seem like we're thinking big right now in america in particular no and i'm not thinking that we should be thinking like obama, obama. No, no, neither am okay. i but like, I mean, just I, as an example yeah, that was, that was a big one. project but yeah. i mean no not um but you're right we've been able to get around that but you know usually i mean the historians would say that the U.S. really only is galvanized when there's an external threat or uh, people come together when, you know, a threat or there's something bigger going on. But I, I think that's why calling it the U.S.'s Sputnik moment is pretty, that wasn't a specific external threat, but it sort of was, right? Like the next step after them uh, getting to being in space is dropping bombs. And I, I don't think we're, we're there uh, the meaning that the result of being behind in Bitcoin is not that we're going to get bombed. No. But I think, you know, if you can get people to believe that we're, you know, we're losing uh, a hold of part of the future and people's quality of life and the, and the quality of life of our kids is going to be reduced because we're not adopting new technologies that are right in front of us. Um, because we're not doing the work. This is, this, is a, this is one thing where it's very, very clear, I'm talking about Bitcoin, that it is very hard to do the work. You need to take the time. You need to dive in and do it. 
um, and to read thoroughly. And this is not, you, you can't just figure this out in a 30 minute, you know, uh, blurb. And, I, you know, Americans' um, um, attention span has, has, is pretty small. Um, and I don't, I don't know how it improves, but I'll tell you something. There are a lot of guys in this space in their 20s who are super bright and um, really like thinkers, not just uh, math and programmer types. I mean, real big picture thinkers reminds me a little bit of, you know, some of the talent that was in uh, Wall Street in the you know late 80s and 90s, and in my business, 90s, 2000s, where you really had the smartest guys coming out of whatever schools, you know, wanting to, to just, you know, figure things out and um, looking around and seeing where the biggest opportunity was. Um, and I think, I, I think that you're, you know, this group of 20 year olds, they're, you know, meaning their attention span, there, it's there, mm -hmm. okay, it's, it's there. Um, just we have to, have to somehow encourage. Harness that energy. Yeah, right? you gotta harness it. And you know, maybe it's that, uh, what, uh, what the Bitcoin people say that, you know, price go up, right? Never, that never that up. encourages, that encourages more, more people. And I, I think that's part of it, but you know, the price is up 300% annualized for 10 years and we're not quite where I think we could be. Well, that's cause uh, so it's more than that. Yeah. And I think it's. Uh, beyond like the interdisciplinary nature and having to put the time in, people don't understand. Well, maybe you can't understand the gravity of it until you put the time in. So, but I, like it's ironic that here in America, in particular, uh, people aren't big on Bitcoin. Considering I would consider it's probably one of the the Bitcoin source code is uh, very analogous to the Declaration of Independence in a way. And it's very American. Well, I mean, the white the paper the was in English. It wasn't in you know, I, you know whatever Russian, right? Yeah, yeah, and it it just it vibes with Americans, uh, values of freedom and liberty. It really does. It, re <laughs> it really, it really does, especially in the middle of the country, maybe not so much on the coasts and in some of the cities, but this is, it really is American, you know, that independence, that free spirit, that belief in, you know, that there is some truth that, you know, it's not corruptible that, I mean, these are things that, you know, the founders uh, all had innately, mm -hmm. uh, innately in them, yeah. you know, the, the moving, the move away from, I mean, centralized corruption, if you think about it, um, I mean, was imbued in the king, right? I mean, there can't be any more a centralized, uh, um, you know, political, I mean, maybe there is, but I'm just saying that, you know, the, the, the rejection of that, mm -hmm talk about that legacy system, right? We rejected that. Yes. And, you know, I think, you know, I think, you know, the crisis in 08 and some of the developments um, in the last 15 years maybe lay the groundwork for this. It's almost like an intellectual, possible for like an intellectual renaissance. Renaissance, yeah. yeah. It could be it's American renaissance. Like just as everyone, Ray thinks it's the end of the world and all these guys are gloom and doom and Bitcoin is a fraud, but really the ideology behind it is a very positive, uh, very positive one. Like, I, I agree 100%. Shout out to Neil Woodfine, who one of my favorite Bitcoin tweets of all time is Bitcoin, if successful, will bring about the next... Uh, Renaissance because you have to learn about so much so much stuff and force to think critically about the system with which you live under So that's that's very important. I mean critical thinking uh, You know the high school I went to uh, was very uh, I mean really that was the most important thing coming out of that place not being some sort of uh, ideologue Understanding both sides in a deep way Staking out your position based on, you know, having gone through the arguments, careful, thoughtful um, uh, contemplation about both, 
discussion around a round table, which is what we had, you know, eight, 10 kids talking back and forth, vetting your ideas. Um, you know, some people might say, oh, well, that's old fashioned and, you know, platonic or whatever it is. But to be honest, um, you know, that is sort of what's going on uh, in Twitter. And you have people around certain concepts, certain threads, certain themes, and you have a lot of people chiming in. And the guys who are kind of like off their rocker, I think, I think get pushed out a little bit. I mean, at least, or, or you just block them, right? <laughs> you, or it's, it, <laughs> I, have a, I have a mute policy. If, uh, if you come in my mentions too many times, not making sense, you get muted. Yeah, and I think someone who's too emotional about what should not be, uh, you know, if you're trying to have a, a concerted discussion to understand something, you know, you don't need like a ton of, emo- I mean, crazy excessive uh, emotion in it. You can have enthusiasm. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I think this, the, twi- the Twitter is an unbelievably powerful um, tool I, I i don't know if it's necessarily an invention but it's a it's um um it's like it's like the bars during the revolutions where people yeah go well those old crazy. those old taverns yeah. you're talking about those old taverns where they used to yeah yeah i i i think that's i think that's right um no and i think yeah no and I, I think it is funny that people would call out uh, Socratic de- uh, debate uh, in this in this form. It's too antiquated. It's too old. The, the, this style of debate exists and has been taught throughout millennia for a reason. It's the the way to think logically to get down to the essence of truth at the end of the day, which is what we're all striving and, for. And there are lots of nuggets, uh, truth nuggets, uh, on Twitter. And again, people have said to me, my older guys, like Dan, how do you like follow all of that? I'm like, well, you don't. And, you know, there are days where I'm too busy and you don't check in. But then, you know, there are periods of time where you're in a car for an hour and, you know, you're looking, I mean, you know, you have some time on your hands, uh, you know, or you're reading about, you're trying to find out about some piece of news and it leads to, you know, a a thread that's interesting. Um, I mean, it's amazingly powerful. And I think... Even when I mentioned to to some people, like you know, I didn't do anything on Twitter before the the <laughs> Raul interview. Yeah, I mean, like zero. And then there are all these people asking me questions, and then I thought, hey, like let's try this. This is kind of neat. We'll every day we'll post one thing or two things on macro or gold or Bitcoin or just th- interesting things. And uh, I found it um, absolutely phenomenal the quality and level of intelligence and debate. Most, most of my peers think it's just like nonsense. You know, you have to filter. I've been filtering a list for like five years now. It takes, it takes Twitter, Twitter doesn't make it easy either. Um, Yeah. But there are, you know, there are a few hundred people who, who are real and thoughtful. And I I mean, I don't know what the number is, but I'm just thinking that, you you know, who are consistently, and you know, you everyone knows who they are, yeah. eh, right? I mean, they're because when they post things, they're interesting, and you tend to read them. Yeah, you know, so that retweet. does take time. That's yeah, and Bitcoiners are good at taking things things viral too. Uh, they really like to pump uh, good news about Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, that's that's great, and you know, pomp I think is great, and, and uh, you know, I lo- and on the more fun side, I love that you know that guy who does the he dresses up in a space suit and sings those songs. <laughs> yeah, what's his I name? I mean, how funny is that? That's great. A little crypto or something. Right? Like yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, my gosh. So, I mean, it's a real, like, living, breathing community. It's and, our, and it's becoming ingrained in our culture overall as a society, right? Like Bitcoin. You mean Twitter or bi- Bitcoin? Bitcoin? Well, Bitcoin. I don't know about that. I, I think maybe, <laughs> maybe in, the, in, the world, in the small world uh, that you're inhabiting. But, yes, like, in, in my world up in Greenwich, uh, it's, it's not in, ingrained anywhere. I mean, it's not. No one. You know, it's more of a sort of old school type of, there's, there's no adoption. 
Um, well, if you never ever need somebody to come help you get people to adopt up there, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll come pitch. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, what, what out on the golf course, you have a host of Bitcoin uh, study and teaching. Uh, I, I think it, it'll just, it, it'll, it'll come naturally. Mm-hmm. And um, the more people who, um, you know, the early guys from MySpace, um, the global macro investment world. So we're talking, you know, Dan Moorhead and uh, Mike Novogratz and John Burbank and Pete Brigger. I mean, those, those guys um, uh, do a lot for the space in terms of having an, a little bit of an outside view on it. But that's just a handful of guys around my age. The guys who are older are, no, are not really, inter- they, they can't, they're, they're not there. <clears throat> and I think, you know, we don't really have, I mean, there's, there's been f- some floating over from the traditional financial world, but it's still, you know, not super duper high profile people that are, are saying, you know, this is the future. Yeah. Um, It'll take some time, but I, yeah. and I guess we can yeah. end it on this. Like it seems almost natural though, right? The way things have played out the last three decades in particular with the emergence of the internet and the emergence of social media and this sort of digital layer that we're building on top of earth. It seems that it's only natural. There will be a digital monetary good too going forward, at least in my mind. I don't know if you share that same view. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It's, um, you know, we all need to, you know, do whatever, you know, contribute in the way that we think is best. Um, because this is a good, right? It's a, it's a natural, what I would call a natural good. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. um, this conversation has been uh, very good. I really appreciate right. you making the yeah, trip. It's been fun. No problem. Thank you. I'm on. Nice. Th- thank nice you. to do it. Thank you for coming over. I really appreciate yep. you taking the trip. Um, your great. insights. Uh, we can find you on Twitter at DTAPCAP. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Still not quite. Yeah. Yes. I like that. I like that. All well, that's, that's the name of the firm. Yeah. It's, it's easy to remember. Yeah. It's, it's easy to remember. Yep. At DTAPCAP. Dan, really appreciate your time. Um, Thank you for doing what you're doing, spreading the word uh, to Bitcoin, of Bitcoin. Uh, and I'll be getting more involved in this space now. And I have some projects that I'm engaged with and about to, to engage with. So, but nothing to discuss at this time. But well, if you ever want to come back and discuss, let me know. We're here. Okay. The invite is open. Yep. Thank and, you very much. That's all we got this week, freaks. Peace and love.